0: Hello fellow rebel capitalists. Hope you're well. So I wanted to go over the top three economic warnings that nobody is talking about. I don't hear this on CNBC. I don't even hear this on zero hedge. And, uh, quite frankly, we haven't even really discussed it to a great extent on this channel. And, uh, let's just dive right into it. I'm going to do a quick screen share. And I want to start by going over to my good buddy's YouTube channel. This is Adam Taggart. He runs a podcast called Wealthian. I cannot suggest it enough. And he just interviewed one of my favorites. The gal's name is Stephanie Pomboy. She's actually one of the few people that I've not had on this channel that I would really like to. So hopefully in the future, we'll get her on the Rebel Capital Show. I'm sure at some point in time, we'll have the opportunity to talk to her. But she is absolutely amazing. And she brought up a couple points on this podcast that, again, I don't think anybody is talking about. I think these are huge, huge economic indicators and, quite frankly, warning signs. So let's get right over to this interview. And I'm going to play a couple clips for you. Make sure we got the volume up. There we go.
1: To the Bank of Japan. You know, it's no secret. Um, that Japan has been the marginal source of financing for global carry trades, not just for the last several months or years, but for more than a decade at this point. So we have built up this kind of institutional culture around being able to always access cheap financing in yen and then take that free money, essentially, and speculate in anything you want all over the world, whether it's, you know, uh, Indonesian real estate or junk bonds here in the U.S. or, you you know, NVIDIA or whatever your, your uh, flavor of the month is. Um, and what the Bank of Japan is doing right now Um, is creating so much at a minimum, creating so much uncertainty around the ability to continue to source that cheap financing um, that I think that's going to have a major impact on global liquidity that the markets aren't really acknowledging just yet. Um,
0: So fantastic point. And for those of you who are just on the live stream that I did in rebel capitalist pro Jeff Snyder was on there. We talked about these global dollar liquidity issues And uh, we talked about it from a little bit different angle, but this is something that definitely dovetails on that discussion. So what she's referring to is for pretty much decades now, you have been able to borrow yen at almost zero interest rates. And so that's what she's talking about free money. That's what she's referring to. Okay, well, you know that the Japanese yen most likely isn't going to go the way of the Argentinian peso. So there's a little bit of FX risk there. But if you can get if there's a massive differential between where you can borrow and where and what you can buy as far as the yield or the upside, then it makes a lot of sense. So these P and also too, if you think the yen is going to depreciate in value, which a lot of people do, and we see that happening lately, then my goodness gracious, what a bargain where you can borrow yen at, let's just say 0% or 20 basis points, something like that. And you have to pay back that yen but your revenue is dollars, as an example, or euros or whatever, and the yen is going down, so you're paying it back with less of your purchasing power. So it's a double whammy. It's the exact same thing as if you take out a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage at, let's say, $2,000 a month as far as your payment. Then we fast forward in 10 years, and let's say we have massive amounts of inflation. Well, your payment would still be $2,000 a month, but that $2,000 a month would be the purchasing power of a loaf of bread taking it to an extreme. Therefore, with the with the amount of purchasing power you have monthly coming in from your job, it's a far lower percentage assuming your income goes up with a rate that's near the rate of inflation. So the exact same thing here with the Japanese carry trade. So, as an so all of these entities globally have access to this super cheap money which incentivizes them to go out and take risk. So whether it's buying US treasuries that's one reason why I think the long end of the curve might have spiked a little bit. That's going back to Japan coming out and announcing that they're going to take their yield curve control. There, there was some nuance there, but basically they took it from 50 up to hundred basis points as far as the range that they said they're going to allow. So you saw the interest rates rise. I don't know what they've done recently, but they did poke their head above, I think 60, 70 basis points, which is a big deal for the Japanese 10 year, the JGB So now all of a sudden, all these guys and gals out there that were borrowing yen at 10 basis points or 20 basis points, now all of a sudden they've got to pay 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe even 100. That doesn't seem like a lot, but when your margins are pretty low and you're borrowing all this money, then that can be a big deal. And also when you have that FX risk and then you have to pay for that carry trade in other ways. Then all of a sudden it goes from something that's profitable, like a profitable arbitrage to something where the risk reward doesn't make sense at all. Therefore, there's a lot less borrowing. There's a lot less speculation. Therefore, all of these assets that benefited from that Japanese yen liquidity at a super cheap rate no longer has the benefit of all those capital inflows. So she, as an expert in the corporate bond market, and she obviously nails it there. So you had a lot of this Japanese liquidity going into the corporate bond market, even going into the meme stocks of 2021, possibly crypto, maybe even Bitcoin, uh, maybe even gold. I mean, I don't want to just isolate Bitcoin there. U.S. real estate, absolutely, 100% could have been a beneficiary of this, quote unquote, carry trade. So what she's assuming is that because of the inflationary pressures in Japan now and maybe not over the next six months because they get a steep recession with what the yield curve is telling us but after that you know assuming that we're in a decade of high rates of inflation which I think we are uh, like the 1940s like the 1970s I think it's going to look more like the 1940s we know inflation doesn't go up or down in a straight line that you it's a roller coaster ride And right now, we're on the down cycle of that roller coaster ride. But my guess is we're going to go right back up to a higher rate of inflation. So at the end of the decade, the prices are going to be way higher than they were at the beginning of the decade. And most likely, interest rates, structurally, will be higher. Well, if that's the case in Japan, again, that carry trade goes away. And that's going to put some downward pressure on these assets globally, globally, that have had the benefit of that tailwind for, let's call it, decades. And so I hear very few people talking about this. And this is an incredible point that uh, I think we all need to be cognizant of and we all need to think this through. So that would be top indicator or top economic warning number one that nobody is talking about. All right, now let's get into economic warning number two that nobody is talking about. And for this, we're going to stay on the same podcast with my good buddy Adam Taggart and with Stephanie Palmboy. We're just gonna fast forward. I've got the time right here on my legal pad. I got it written down. It is about 49 minutes, roughly. So let's just play it right here from 4850. Okay
1: the treasury and agency securities that were being you know, pushed underwater by the Federal Reserve rate hike. So there's a perfect uh, combination of awful. Reasons. Um, but at the end of the day, I maintain that SBB was a corporate credit story, not a banking crisis story. Um, at its heart, it was an issue related to the solvency of its corporate clientele. Um, and it was the first sort of shot across the bow well, of this major uh, corporate credit bust. And I think we're now in the early innings of.
0: That's great. So here's uh, incredible insight. Now, I will say there has been someone that I've heard discuss this back in March when SVB went bust. And that someone would be this guy. (laughs) I was talking about this exact same thing because people were talking about, oh, my gosh, all of these tech companies are just taking their deposits out of Silicon Valley Bank. It's a run on the bank. It's because of social media. Peter Thiel went out and told everyone to take out their money and blah, 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 blah. And then they had to solve the treasuries, take a haircut, and that blows a hole in their balance sheet, their negative equity, they go bust. You guys all know the story. And I was saying, "Um, yeah, I I don't know if it's so much a result of all of these tech companies taking their money and going elsewhere. I said, I think it's probably more of a result of all these tech companies just incinerating cash. So when the Fed was keeping rates at, at zero on the front end, and we had this huge risk-on environment that, hey, to her point, might have been uh, might have been exacerbated by the Japanese carry trade that we just talked about with the Japanese yen. All of these tech companies were basically zombie companies. I mean, they weren't making profit. You guys know that. The only reason they were staying in business is because they kept borrowing more and more and more and more money to cover their cost and their... Their pitch, their sales pitch was, well, we don't make money now, but we've got this huge TAM. Remember, that was the buzzword back with the SPACs. TAM, 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 TAM. tam. And what does TAM mean? That's T-A-M, total addressable market. It's like, oh my gosh. Yes, we're incinerating money. Yes, we're lighting it on fire. Yes, we're flushing it down the toilet. But don't worry. Give us another $2 billion because our TAM is 8 billion people on earth as if that's somehow their new customer base. It's just pie in the sky nonsense. And so my point is that was fine for a while, but then all of a sudden, people realize the emperor isn't wearing any clothes. The tide starts going out, you see who is swimming naked. So then once Powell starts raising interest rates, what happens to the tech sector? You guys remember this, right at the end of 2021, into 2022, even when they discuss talking about raising interest rates in November of 2021. I remember it like it was yesterday. And then they start raising rates in 2022. Tech just goes, Wile E. Coyote right off the cliff. Okay. So now all of a sudden you're these zombie tech companies that by the way, are the main customers of Silicon Valley bank. And they can't access the debt markets anymore. They can't access any money. So when they're trying to roll over this debt, they're trying to borrow more. The market's saying no, Pound Sand. We 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 get your TAM, but your share price is plummeting, and we don't see any reason why it will stop plummeting. So then what do they have to do? They just like you. If 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 you let's say you lose your job, and right now you have ten thousand dollars in your bank account, what's going to happen to the amount of money in your bank account? It's likely going to go down because you have to pay expenses and you have no revenue or in this case, they have no debt (laughs) coming in to fill that hole. So if they're spending down their deposit accounts, well, that means those currency units, those commercial bank liabilities are going to another commercial bank that forces Silicon Valley Bank to sell. They have to take a haircut on the asset side of the balance sheet. Boom, negative equity, you're done. So this is exactly what Stephanie is talking about. Everyone said that Silicon Valley Bank blew up because of interest rate risk. And she's saying, no, no, not really. It was more corporate credit risk. And this is an incredible observation. And um, not just because I made it, but <laughs> but yes, yeah, Stephanie's a lot smarter than I am. So it, it's nice to, to see some confirmation there with someone who I know does incredible research and is very, very intelligent. But the bottom line there is, no, you had the corporate credit in the tech space blow up They drew down their deposits, and that's why Silicon Valley Bank had to sell all those treasuries that they were supposed to hold to maturity. It wasn't a run on the bank. It was a a, a corporate credit issue in the tech sector. Hey guys, I wanna remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Ceresna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. That's number two as far as the economic warning that nobody is talking about. And yes, it is true that Silicon Valley Bank is behind us and Signature and Credit Suisse and all these. But I think we're only in inning seven or eight. These problems have by no means been resolved. And if we go into a recession, you're going to see that exact same thing play play out in spades where all these corporations that have been able to access the, the bond market, especially if you see... All of the corporate debt, not all, but that uh, that portion of corporate debt that is currently investment grade, once that goes back down to the uh, junk status, which you know they're right on the razor's edge right there. Once they go down into junk status, I think it's going from triple B to double B, if my memory serves me right. Then they have to pay a much higher interest rate if they can even get credit at all. Because a lot of these huge pension funds and pools of money that are issuing them cre- or giving them credit, extending money to them now, buying their bonds, they, by law, cannot buy their bonds if they're no longer investment grade. So then what happens? The same thing with SVB. They start drawing down their deposit account. And then you know with, if they're with one of these regionals that has problems, there you go. That takes us right into the next wave of the potential banking crisis. All right, now let's go over to the third thing. And for that, bear with me guys, I've got to stop the screen share and do a different type of screen share. Okay, there we go. We're gonna go over to this chart from Yahoo. And this is from the conversation that I had with Jeff Snyder when we were in St. Barts. This is a little sneak preview for the live stream that we just did on Rebel Capitalist Pro, which you can still access because we we put up a, a replay of that if you go to georgegammon.com forward slash pro. But um, the, the gist here is one of the main economic indicators that Jeff Snyder watches daily is the Hong Kong stock market, the Hang Seng, Hang Seng right here. And this kind of surprised me. I'm like... Hmm, that's weird. I, I wonder why he pays so much attention to this. The reason is in all the research that he's done, he believes this is a window into dollar liquidity in Asia. And because China is the second largest economy, because you have Japan, all these others, If you know, it used to be if the United States sneezes, then the whole world catches a cold. But now I think it's safe to say that China would be in that category as well. So dollar liquidity, not just globally, but in Asia is a really big deal for even countries like the United States, because we're in such an interconnected uh, global economy. So Jeff believes that when there's a lot or when there are sufficient amount of dollars available to these global corporations in Asia, that a lot of them are going to park those dollars in the Hong Kong stock market. Because uh, for a variety of reasons, they've got to a certain extent rule of law, you've got uh, a, a, a peg to the dollar with a Hong Kong dollar. So you don't have enough, you don't have a lot of FX risk. And so this, among many other reasons, is in Jeff's view, when you get the, the, sang, the, the Hang sang going up, it means that dollar liquidity is improving in Asia. When it's going down, then you're in a credit crunch, most likely, a potentially a global credit crunch, but more specifically, at least an Asian credit crunch. And if they can't access the dollars they need, then you guys know that doom loop. We talk about this on the uh, on the Rebel Capitalist channel all the time. It's really that uh, self reinforcing process, uh, the, the the feedback loop, if you will. So let's look at what the Hang Seng has been doing recently. Now I want to start by looking at you know this bottom here, October twenty eighth. This and re- remember the stock market's kind of forward looking here. So back in this time, it was kind of the depths of the lockdowns and the world had opened up except for China. And they were still like welding people like welding their front door and everything. So they couldn't leave just unbelievable stuff there. But then they started talking about reopening and we started to get more positive news about, Oh, reopening, 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 and all this excess savings in China that was going to be unleashed on the global economy once they reopened and all this pent up demand and blah, blah, blah. You guys remember the story, so then you had the, uh, this would most likely be where the counterparty, the perceived counterparty risk, something I talk about this all the time on this channel, is going lower. Therefore, all of these Eurodollar banks, banks in Japan, banks that are providing liquidity to Asia are more open and they're, I don't want to say the risk on, but they're not as much risk off. And so you see the Hang Seng going up. Now, granted, this could be because just simply a play on the Chinese economy. I totally get that. But I talked to Jeff about this in St. Barts, and he says, yeah, you would think that, but it's, it's not always correlated. So that's one of the main reasons he thinks the, the, the better, it's a better proxy for dollar liquidity than just the overall Chinese economy. So then what we see is kind of them, you're, you're, uh, you're buying the rumor, you're selling the fact, I think is the common saying here. So you're buying the rumor, buying the rumor, buying the rumor, then they open up right around January. Or so now you're selling the fact. And then what happens is people start to realize, holy cow, this reopening is a massive nothing burger. And if China isn't there to put the world economy on its back, and the communist party doesn't really have an appetite to prop things up because they want the real estate market to de- deflate, as an example, then what happens here? What happens to whose shoulders are we going to, or whose back are we going to get on to right us out of this next recession or crisis? So what the markets start doing and the market I'm talking about, the, the dollar liquidity market, these banks are saying, okay, now we're risk off. And then the dollar liquidity goes down, the Hang Seng starts to go down. And you can really see this since uh, July 31st in August, it's really plummeted. It's gone from 20,000 and where it is right now, 18,000. But it uh, just a few days ago, it's down with a 17 handle on it. That's a massive decline. And so is this because of what's specifically happening in China, or is this more so something that's happening with dollar liquidity in Asia, which would be a much bigger story as far as the global economy and therefore the United States. We'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see, but that's Jeff Snyder's view. And I think it's worth thinking about. And that's why I wanted to add it to the list of the top three economic warnings that nobody's talking about. So, number 1, we've got the uh, corporate debt. Oh, well, that's number 2, the corporate debt. The first thing was the Japanese uh, the, the yen carry trade. Second, the corporate debt issue. Third would be the Hang Seng going down and we need to pay attention to all the, all three of these metrics moving forward. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of your evening. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market, capitalism. If you want to check out the replay of that live stream we did, again, you can check that out, georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you in the next video.